Welcome to another episode of Fade to Gray. We welcome you here to this roundtable discussion where we bring on an author by the name of Paul Matthew Harrison. We talk about his life and how those experiences have shaped his journey throughout his faith. Please enjoy as we take a front row seat. I tried to watch um, the the live videos in the BC group and listen to the uh, first three, and I cannot remember names or match them with faces. So I apologize if I don't uh, remember. I'm going to try to pay attention, though. So if you guys want to just go around and give me your names and maybe a little bit of a bio. I'm Andy. I am 30 years old, and I I just grew up in a non-denominational church, so I'm excited to hear your take on... Uh, what you encountered in your life, and uh, I'm very excited to hear your story. Oh man, yeah, I don't know whether to apologize or <laughs> <laughs> let's let's pass the torch to someone else. How about uh, Seth? How about you? Hey man, I uh, I'm Seth. I uh, I grew up Southern Baptist uh, to the core. Was going to go ooh, into ooh. the youth ministry. Uh, did a year's internship at a mega church that was actually pretty charismatic non-denominational uh then i came then i uh i came out as gay and that kind of messed that up so i went it's hard for a baptist to do it's real hard (laughs) real hard it's not an easy not an easy you mean happy yeah i was just trying to tell people that i drank alcohol yeah that's no (laughs) uh i'm now i'm a licensed clinical social worker now and i work for a crisis contact center oh so, nice yeah. yeah it's andy and seth you got it yep okay who's next ethan? i know yeah ethan i'm next <laughs> <laughs> he's not he's not in the game that would be you. <laughs> i maybe had um one too many drinks at dinner with my boss <laughs> <laughs> were they paid for yeah, <laughs> um, I'm I am. Uh, I grew up the second of nine kids on a farm in northern wow. New York. Um, very conservative, uh, non-denominational church. Um, I am one of the gays, so that. <laughs> um, one of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I um I had a crippling bout of depression and um you know reconciling faith and sexuality that uh, lost me like about five to seven years of my life, give or take. Um, I can to imagine the point of not being able to get out of bed most days, kind of a thing. So that yeah. is done. Um, I'm on meds. It's awesome, and I work uh, in the pharmaceutical industry. Wow, pretty cool. Nice. That's Omar right there. He's he's a he's a beautiful man. Joke. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was it. All right, on. And you're Christopher. I'm looking as if like yeah, I'm looking at you as if you can see that I'm looking at you. <laughs> I see it. It feel I feel like you're all looking at me, which is pretty awesome. Uh, scary. Yeah. I mean. Uh, we've talked a little bit, Paul. Um, yeah. But you know, I'm uh, grew up Southern. I, I wouldn't actually. I didn't grow up Southern Baptist at all. I grew up uh, not in religion. Found religion as a teenager. Uh, was Southern Baptist. Fell hardcore into it. Uh, really think that I needed that uh, community because of uh, daddy issues. 
and hmm. um, you know uh, was in the ministry for a long time. Worship leader, uh, youth pastor. Um, I was in a Christian band for a long time, and uh, yeah, no longer, uh, no longer, I guess, calling myself a Christian. No longer think that I believe any of that. So um, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. So, but um, I was guess I should tell these guys kind of how I met you. So yeah, Paul was writing a book. Um, actually he had already written the book. He was uh, going back and I guess doing a revision on it and he wanted yeah. to add uh, quotes from a musician named Aaron Weiss from the band me without you. And it just so happened that he found uh, an interview that I did with Aaron Weiss from 2003 on YouTube. And he actually messaged me, um, and uh, said, you know, by any chance, would you happen to have Cornerstone 2003 audio of Aaron Weiss? I know it's a long shot, but, uh, you know, just want to know. And I'm so, actually, yes, I do. I was there and I have footage of uh, you were yeah. looking for a specific sermon that he gave that. Yeah, year. The, band, the band played two shows and then he gave uh, a message that year. Yeah, that I could not. I've been looking for 10 years for it. No one in the band had it. I bought it on eBay in 2003 after coming home from Cornerstone Festival so I had for about a year and then I moved and lost my VHS tapes. And since then, no one else has had it. So to be able to quote from it in the book was was an important part of that. So I was yeah, happy I to give it, man. I was happy yeah. to do that. I, I was just really excited that, um, you know, you were writing a book. Uh, and, well, at least from my perspective at that time, I thought you were writing kind of like a biography on me without you. And it wasn't really until you sent me the book that I realized, oh, this is actually about Paul's life and his relationship with Aaron Weiss um, yeah. and how that relates to uh, his story. And uh, I found your story to be extremely compelling. Um, and I know that, you, you know, you've kind of shared some of the reviews or whatever that people have given your book about, you know, why do we have to read about this whiny guy's life? All I want to read about is Aaron Weiss or whatever. Um, There's a couple of those. Yeah. Right. And I just, I, I couldn't have thought any differently. Um, I definitely was riveted by your story because I think I related to it so much. Um, you know, what, what you went through. You know, I, I based that on a book called I'm proud of you. It's a book about Mr. Rogers. I can't remember the journalist's name, but he went to interview Mr. Rogers. And Mr. Rogers pretty much took him on as a friend and helped him through depression and divorce. And just every day would write to him and say, I love you. I'm praying for you. My wife and I thought about you today, invited him to church and just became like his spiritual friend. And so he showed their correspondence via email. And it was just this really sweet, beautiful friendship between them. And so I, I modeled all the clever words and pages on that. By I asked Aaron if he minded if we shared from our personal emails or our conversations, and he was okay with all of that. And so after reading those negative reviews, I thought, I wonder if anybody thought the same thing about, I'm proud of you. So I went to Amazon and looked up the one-star reviews, and sure enough, there are people saying this asshole showing off his friendship with Mr. Rogers. He can't, you know, it's ham-fisted sentimentality and we get it. Mr. Rogers likes you and he's your friend. And there were people that were just like, why do we got to read their personal email? Like people were angry. And I thought, how, how could somebody walk away from such an amazing book with that attitude? And then I, I, I kind of put it into perspective that it just doesn't resonate with some people, you, you know. 
I just I, I found your book to be very uh, impressive. Your writing is very good. Your your telling of your story is is compelling. I, I couldn't wait to get to the next page to find out if you had finally found peace or if you had finally gotten the girl yes. that you wanted or if you had finally <laughs> felt better from your fibromyalgia or everything. Um, yeah. So yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Did you feel like you got into like I always tell people that it's like you get into a swamp, you fall into the heavy stuff fast, and then you're just stuck down there. And Aaron is in that place too, so that friendship stays at that really deep place. And getting to the end of that book, I kind of had to find some sort of redeeming value, and I didn't know what to say. So. I kind of learned from writing it what what the redeeming value was at the end of that. But yeah, not not the closure that you're looking for sure. that, that a reader would be looking for. You know? Sure. Do you think that you found like any uh, healing from writing that book, though? I did. It was um, it was it, it took, I think I started rewriting it. I wrote the first version of it in 2007 because Aaron said he was done with the band after that tour because he was always threatening to break up to leave me without you for years. So I thought, well, it's now or never. And I just rushed out this, this copy, but I started rewriting it in 2011 and it took me about five years. And in that process of writing it, there was a lot of just sobbing. I remember being at the coffee shop, editing it and just crying in front of the, the workers there and grabbing napkins off the counter and, and, you know, having to, to drink and throw books at the wall and, so there's a lot of painful stuff to have to, to revisit and write about. But after I finished it, I felt lighter. And uh, and then last year I wrote God Told Me to Marry You, which was about the the aspect of that book where I believe that God had supernaturally led me to a person to marry via these supernatural signs. And I got a lot of healing writing that, too. So now I'm writing a final one now called Deconversions, which is basically about it's sort of a conversion, deconversion memoir, becoming a Christian in high school, an evangelical Pentecostal Christian, and then losing faith. But I'm going over the 30 years of my teen and adult life and showing the various kinds of Christianity I come in and out of and the various forms of belief and unbelief. So we're trying to put everything in that book. And then that I think that'll give me the closure I need to really just kind of move on from the past. But I, I just thought maybe these things would be redeeming for other people to read, you know, I certainly think they have been, uh, your book definitely helped me out. Um, so, really? absolutely. And so, you know, that's one of the reasons why I thought you'd be great to have on just because I don't think really many people here are familiar with your story. Do you mind giving us kind of the cliff notes, um, on some of the things that you were dealing with? Yeah, I, I, I yeah. Um, my dad died of cancer when he was 30 and I was seven and I was sad that he was hurting. So when he died, I was happy that he wasn't in pain anymore. And I believed that he went somewhere else like heaven or someplace where he was now at peace. So that started my my sort of quest to like, where is dad and what happens when you die? Um, and then in the 80s, Time Life Books put out these uh, encyclopedia series on like mysteries of the unknown, uh, you know, psychic powers and mediums and Stonehenge and the supernatural and Nostradamus and Ouija boards, you know, are any of these things real? So I started to look into those things, um, just asking about, you know, how does life work? Is there a God? All of that. And I asked my grandma for a Bible when I was about 12 or 13 
um, not knowing how to read it. And then my mom married into a family of Pentecostal um, ministers, you know, youth ministers and people who are very involved in church. So they were really happy to tell me about Jesus and explain to me about having a personal relationship with God. So I wasn't raised uh, a Christian, but once I was in, I was all in. And that was young earth creationism. Uh, Jesus is coming back really soon. The Bible's the inerrant word of God, playing bass in the worship band, studying for ministry, um, you know, watching Benny Hinn and faith healers and guys like this, tongue speaking and mystical experiences. By the time I got out of high school, I was an agnostic. Um, in the middle of that, I got sick with mono and then developed chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia, which are chronic pain and fatigue conditions. So despite all of the prayer and visiting faith healers and anointing oil and everything, um, none of those things helped. Um, and studying for evangelism, a lot of kids at school would ask questions, and then I would read more apologetics. I got a job at family Christian stores and started just eating up all the theology and apologetics books, and I just found out we couldn't be certain any of this was true. So I, I left high school as an agnostic and wrote a, a paper to my pastor and family members saying I can't be a Christian anymore, and looked into liberal Christianity, just trying to find some way to believe, but I continued to have what I thought were mystical experiences along the way or encounters with God. And in 2003, I had what I believed was a dialogue from God where he was speaking to me and bringing me back to him. And in the middle of that time, uh, I'd met a woman that God said, that's going to be your wife. And for the next two years, there was this barrage of uh, dreams and visions and prophecies and people giving me, you know, words from God and on and on about how God is going to heal me and restore my life and put me in ministry and all these things. Um, and when all of that collapsed in, into this uh, this huge disillusionment, I dissociated and became suicidal. I ended up proposing to this woman, and she said no, even after all the signs and all the prophecies and everything else. So that's what God told me to marry you is about. It's a critique of uh, the Christian dating subculture and especially the books that tell you don't date because God chooses a spouse for you. But the, the thing about this story is she also had these confirmations on her end, but she didn't want to be with me. So she kept on fighting God. So in her mind, she was trying to change God's mind. So the two of us believing we were having these signs together, but one of us wanting it and the other not, it, it leads to a very confusing um, dynamic. You know, it's not like one person who believes it and is stalking the other but both of us are experiencing this and half are saying it's Satan, the other half are saying it's God, you know. So after I proposed and she said no, um, I dissociated that night and became suicidal and started spiraling downward. Um, and from that moment on, anything supernatural stopped. There was no more mystical experiences or dreams or visions or signs or prophecies or anything. So it just felt like this cosmic joke had been played on me for two years, like I've been pushed off a cliff and left for dead at the bottom. Can't sense God's presence, can't hear his voice. So now what? And uh, I mean, I can get, I can go into some insane stories about what those signs and confirmations were, but it was in that suicidal state looking for God that I, I decided to live in my car. And it was um, difficult every day not to kill myself. Like people talk about being suicidal or wanting to die, but this is the feeling of like, the car is going and you have to keep hitting the brakes and you wonder if one day you're not going to be strong enough to hit the brakes because the impulse every moment is go kill yourself. 
So it was in that state that I met Aaron Weiss at Cornerstone, and we exchanged contact information. And at the end of 2005, I wrote to him, and he said, uh, tell me what to do, and I'll do it. I, I love you, and I, I sense a connection and a deep care with you. I'll send you money. Come to Philadelphia. So he and his family invited me to come live with him, and that started our friendship, which is what all the Clever Words on Pages is about. But with him trying to... Um, you know, I looked into the emergent church and Brian McLaren and postmodern mystical Christianity. I was just trying to find anything I could to to keep my faith going. And and everything Aaron Aaron took me to this Anabaptist community called the Bruderhof, and he that's what changed his life around because he also wanted to kill himself ten times a day. Being a Christian and going to church didn't help, but he had this experience at the Bruderhof where. Um, he sensed this unconditional love and believed that, you know, God is reality itself or love itself. But that wasn't helping me explain some of the things I'd been through in my past. So while I was in Philadelphia with Aaron, he was exasperated and he said, I'm sorry I got you out here and I'm sorry I thought I could help you or that I had any answers at all. All, all I know is I love you. I'm glad you're here and I'm glad you're not dead. And he gave me a big hug and that was the turning point for me. Just somebody loving me and wanting me to be there and offering me that kind of friendship, even without answers. So all the clever words on pages is going through all of our theological musings and not coming to conclusions. But by the end of 2006, I just realized there's probably no personal God at all. And I was deluded all those years. So I guess I'm an atheist. And it's sort of a reluctance. Yeah, I guess I'm an atheist. And then I went to Borders to buy Christmas gifts and Wired Magazine's cover story was the new atheism. So that was the very beginning of Hitchens, Dennett, Dawkins and Harris and that whole new atheist phase. So I was pretty hardcore, like I need to um, maybe I was brainwashed all these years with Christianity. And so if I can just be an atheist and not associate with anything Christian, I can get it all out of my system and I won't want it to be true anymore, you know? And 10 years later, I still was praying and worshiping and fasting and seeking God, even as an atheist, you know? So, so the, the, the whole, the story in a nutshell is just to go through all of these different ways of seeking God, believing in God, understanding God, different forms of belief and unbelief, and then how those things influence you. Um, and so I don't know what I would call myself now. I, I don't think I have a, a label, you know. So I try to write about what things influenced me out, out of all of these um, various, you can't really just sort of leave something behind and pick something else up and be something else. Everything influences you along the way. So everybody is sort of this complex uh collection of all their experiences, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if that's too long for a nutshell, but that's it in a nutshell. That's great, man. No, that was really good. Uh, you, you did a much better job of, uh, you know, summarizing, I guess, your history with faith than I could ever have done. So that was great. Well, when you're writing about it and it's um, pinned up to your wall in note cards, it's, it's kind of fresh on my mind, you know, when you're outlining it for a book. <laughs> but it's, you know, writing is different than talking. So I don't know. You know. This is the first time I'm ever talking about it on a podcast with anyone. So Really? This is your first time talking about it on a podcast? Yeah. Oh, well, welcome. Thanks. It's awesome. We feel honored. Who's talking right now? 
Okay, this is, this is Omar. I'm finally getting some of my technological stuff figured out. Um, I just want to say, um, I didn't see any. I didn't see any mouse moving in the video, and I was like, "Lord, is that you?" <laughs> no, it froze as soon as I turned on. As soon as I turned on the, the camera, it froze instantly, and oh. I was like, "Oh, there we go. That's great." <laughs> so, but yeah, thanks for sharing. That's a, that's really a, a pretty intense story. Um, and journey and then like how you um you know just kind of like wrote about it along the way like too it's it's pretty cool and inspiring so thank you for being here now do yeah, you I, thanks for talking what, what i andy here uh what i wanted to know is that um if you haven't really arrived anywhere do you bother to attend anywhere do you attend a church even if it's once a year like the easter christmas service does it stay with you traditionally? How does that look like uh, in 20? Yeah, not regularly. I don't have a church, but I still have Christian friends that when I visit them, I'll spend the night on the weekend and go to church with them. And usually when I'm in a church setting, I feel home. It feels like home and it feels peaceful. It feels like I want to belong, but I'm listening to the the lyrics of the worship songs. I'm like, right. I don't agree with this. I don't agree with yeah. this. And the sermon comes on. I don't agree with that. But I like it's just the, the habit of being in a church setting feels like God is there and it's peaceful and it it feels like home. So I don't have any antagonism towards it, especially if the coffee and donuts are good. <laughs> childcare too. Don't forget the childcare. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, well now no, he enjoy. didn't get married because the woman that he wanted to get married to didn't want to get married to him, right? So he didn't have any Correct. kids. Right. Correct. Right. No, she's um, she's happily married now to uh, she's in a band with her husband and they've got a couple of kids. They live out in California now. They're Andy's neighbors. That's my territory. That's right. They are. Paul, that part of your story um, is very similar to something I went through in, in my life as well. So um, when Chris was telling me about you in the books that you wrote, I was like, oh, that's very interesting because that's something that wrecked, wrecked me pretty good um, in my 20s. I thought I was going to be marrying this girl and all these different signs were pointing to yes, all these different check things I had. And it actually got really weird because you mentioned mysticism because I started seeing 11, 11, 11 everywhere. Oh, that's sort of like a Deepak Chopra thing. Yeah. And so, and so, but I thought that it meant that I was supposed to like marry this girl, like on like November 11th or something like that. We actually went out to California for a summer camp together. It was a three month long commitment and a month into it. Uh, she decides that's not what she wants for her life and starts dating somebody younger and blacker than I was. <laughs> so I had two I had two more months to be out there in California working with her during all this, and that definitely was a hard time in my life. So, Did she believe she had any signs concerning you? Uh, she she was Catholic when I when I met her, and I, my family was very Pentecostal, kind of just um, all about the Holy Spirit and love. And she was in a prayer meeting once, and I remember looking over at her. This is like the first times that she hung out and went to our church and. I remember looking at her and she had just tears rolling down her face, you know, because she had never been in such an intimate setting. And my family and the way that we interact made a really huge impact in her life. And then it just, so she was kind of like a baby Christian, I guess, to answer your question. Like, I don't know if she felt like there were signs, but she, I think like when it got more serious, she got more freaked out and was like, no, this is not what I want. Yeah. I, I kind of explore some of that in God Told Me to Marry You, like what counts as a sign or a confirmation. And pastors don't like this because you can't pastor it. It's almost always between you and God or whatever pattern 
you're putting together. Um, in my case, the, the woman's name was Natalie. I met her at Cornerstone in 2003. I actually had my, my, um, my boxes packed to move from Chicago to Florida. And I was starting this band called Tears Unending. And I had this poem about the funeral of God that I wanted to do this concept album on the funeral of God. So I posted it all over Cornerstone looking for musicians in Tampa. And I was involved in a Christian coffee house ministry. And the woman there kept saying, hey, you need to meet this woman, Natalie. She's going to come on to join the, the team to be the, uh, the girls' youth leader. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll meet her. But I got it. You know, I'm moving. So that woman found me at Cornerstone and introduced me to Natalie. I was a, I film these bands every year and I was about to film this band called Dead Poetic. They were coming on stage when uh, when this woman came and introduced me to Natalie and I shook Natalie's hand like, hey, how you doing? And instantly I heard God say, stay here and help her walk with me. And I had a vision of us shoulder to shoulder with youth around us. So it had this immediate feeling of like partnership in ministry and I remember that woman saying, Natalie's coming out of the world, giving her life back to God. I had just given my life back to God six months previous. So there was this feeling of like you're partnered up to be in this ministry. And um, when I talked with her a few months later, she said when I gave her my number that night, there were three twos in a row. It was three, one, two, 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 five. And so her whole life, she said, whenever anything significant happened to her, the, the numbers two, two, two would appear somewhere. Uh-huh. So. She believed I was put in her life for a reason, and I believed I was put in her life for a reason. And then from there, um, there were more confirmations along the way over two years. So that what, what we viewed as supernatural. But there was another, um, in the middle of all this, when she was saying, I don't want to be with you and rejecting it, there was another woman who wanted to be with me. And um, I was praying, like, should I be with Natalie or this woman? And I was in my car and it was raining. I was getting on the expressway. There's one car sitting in front of me. The windshield wipers are going and it's raining. And I said, should I be with Natalie or this other woman? And the car pulls away and it says Natalie on the license plate. And I thought, okay, is is that God, you know? She's driving away, though. (laughs) What's that? She was driving away. You you misread your sign. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She's out of here. Exactly. But I I called her uh, that, or actually she called me that week and we were talking. And one of the reasons she didn't want to be with me is because she was in love with an ex-boyfriend that she was hoping God would change. But it was a very dysfunctional relationship and, um, you know, it wasn't going anywhere. So um, she was trying to move on from him. And that very same week, she said she was driving to work and she saw a car that looked just like his and sped up to see if that was him. And the license plate said Grace 222 on it. So she said, I I think that's God. She said, I think that's God giving me the grace to move on from him. She's like, isn't it amazing how God speaks to us through license plates? And I thought if I told her what I just saw a couple days ago on a license plate, she'd be pissed, you know, because she doesn't want to be with me. Um, and then while I was writing God's Home to Marry You, I came across a book called You're a Prize to Be Won by uh, Wendy Griffith from the 700 Club. Um, Looks like Ethan knows what give, that is. Oh, yeah. It's it, – yeah. Well, it's – you can you – can, um, yeah, well. <laughs> but she gives signs uh, – she gives three different signs of where God speaks to her through license plates. So writing God's Home to Marry You, I'm sort of – going over these things, like in our subculture, what do we view uh, as is a sign or a confirmation or God speaking? 
And this just comes from the books we read about how to hear God's voice and be guided by him. You know, it teaches you to look for these open doors and these coincidences for, for guidance. It's not necessarily a biblical thing, but it's common in Pentecostal circles. Paul, I don't know if yeah. you know this or not, but um, whenever I went to Illinois in 2008 for um, Lollapalooza, my wife and I kept noticing that all these license plates were personalized. Um, and I guess it's like some sort of a thing in Illinois that everyone gets their license plates personalized. And that's just, really? not a, that's just not a thing in Texas. I don't know if that's a thing in other States, but maybe, um, you just have so many personalized license plates in Illinois that, you know, everyone's just getting signs every single day. It could be. I know when I became an atheist, I, I, um, I looked for two, two, two on license plates every day and I found them just, just a walk through town looking at parked cars. They're everywhere. And I remember going to Walmart um, in Arkansas. I think it was in 2006 after all this had happened. And um, the change that was given to me on my receipt after buying a sub sandwich was 222. And then I went out to my car and turned it on, and the clock was 222 in the afternoon. And then I looked across at a parked car in the parking lot, and it had 222 on the license plate. And I just thought it's that easy if you're looking for for numbers to be signed. Yeah. You can find them if you're looking for them, you know. Yeah. And then you can decide whether or not it's a blessing or a curse. Cause at first I thought it was, Oh, this is our marriage date. This is such a blessed number. And then when everything fell apart and I kept seeing 11, 11 everywhere, I was like, and I was like, oh, something bad always was going to happen next, you know, but it was just the mindset and the way that I was looking at it. I feel, how do you feel now being agnostic and going through all that? Do you still think that God speaks in signs? Do you mean, do you, where do you, where do you land with that? Yeah. There's, yeah, there's a book called When God Winks. Um, Squire Rushnell is the author, and I think there's another one called When God Winks on Love, and it's about the power of coincidences to bring you to your mate, and it's filled with stories about how you should follow these signs and coincidences. But um, people who write Christian dating books who are fed up with that kind of advice, pastors <laughs> will talk about how many people followed these signs into terrible marriages that ended in divorce. Right. So I try I give I try to represent those in God's going to marry you as well. That as silly as it feels that we do stuff like this, it seems like the most common thing in the world. Like pastors are saying, if I had a dime for every time uh, someone came into my office, you know, some Christian woman on a college campus and said some guy told her, God told me you're going to be my wife. You know, they're almost tired of dealing with it. So there are a lot of people who. Um, who write against this whole idea of God choosing a, a spouse for you. But the bigger story, I mean, that's just uh, like one example of God's seeming guidance failing. The, the larger story is, is God talking to us supernaturally or guiding us personally and supernaturally in any way at all for, for jobs, right. ministry, or anything? And that's where you get the John MacArthur's and the reform types who say, just leave charismatic Christianity behind the Bible is sufficient to guide you, and that's it. That God does not guide through unctions or open doors or closed doors or just stop looking for God and Satan and everything and just use wisdom and follow the Bible. So those authors, uh, Kevin DeYoung has a book called Just Do Something, you know, to counter Henry Blackaby's books on, on experiencing God. So there's sort of a clash of viewpoints where one is called the traditional view and the other is called the wisdom view. Where do you land? Like and on this moment in your journey, and, and like as you, because you seem very read and very knowledgeable. So like through your experiences, because and through your readings, where do you, where are you landing at, at the moment? 
at the at the mall. Well, there's one answer. <laughs> it's a sign. <laughs> it's. It, I think that I've just discerned that that's Satan trying to disrupt our conversation so we don't get lost. <laughs> Did you put a hedge around that dog? Well, there's a lot the of demons that going in this dog. on too. Yeah. Um, I think where I stand now is that people have very interesting stories. Like people will say to me, I've never met anyone who's had the amount of seeming uh, supernatural activity in his life who comes out an atheist at the end. Like as an atheist, how would you explain away some of those things? And some of it is hard to explain away. Not the not the examples I've just given, but um, there's examples that are more convincing than than that in my life. And there's other people that have had things that um, where they just say, look, I know something supernatural has happened, but there's no way to contextualize it. You know, H- Henry Blackaby wrote Experiencing God about how to how to be guided by God. And he wrote that as a Baptist, you know, or not a Pentecostal or charismatic. Dallas Willard has a different view. So it's like somebody can experience something and then immediately try to contextualize it like, oh, this is a word of knowledge or this is an interpreted tongue or this is. And it might not be any of that. If you're new age, it's just you're intuitive and you picked up on a vibration. You know what I mean? I've got friends who are uh, tarot card readers or who visited psychics and mediums who have incredible stories. So when they say to me as an atheist, how do you explain that away? Well, I don't. It's it's just an anecdote. You know, you can't really prove most of this. Um, so I just think something is happening in people's lives. Something more seems to be happening, but I don't know what I would attribute it to. And in my life, why why would it stop instantly and then just have a decade of a flat line of nothing? And some call that the dark night of the soul. So I go through some of that in God's Home to Marry You as well. People who hear God's voice and are guided and see miracles, and then it just cuts off. And then they go through hell for like 15 years, and then God just comes back again somehow. So Christians huh. are always telling me, you're not an atheist. You're just a confused believer, and wait till God comes back. He's going to use you, and you're going to see him in your life again. You know. So, yeah, I welcome that. I would love that to be the case, but you know, nothing like that has happened in the past 12 years. Uh, sorry, I'm, guys. Uh, you guys do I'm some talking. I feel like I'm hogging this. To the two years where you were, you know, thinking that God was talking to you about marrying this girl, like um, confirmations and signs and things like that, I'm very familiar with. You said you heard God talk to you. What is that? (laughs) Like, I'm super curious about this. Yeah, because I can eat lots of kimchi and drink kombucha and have my gut be really healthy, and I, my intuition is just on point, baby. No carbs, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> so is, is that just the Holy Spirit or what? Um, <clears throat> there's What happened to me was I was sick with this fibromyalgia. I was an agnostic. I was struggling through the years, couldn't get anything going. And I prayed one night, and I said, all I ever want was for you to exist and to love me and have a plan for my life and have a wife to share it with, but I can't make you exist. And a thought responded and said, who said I don't exist? And I thought, oh, here we go. So I went in this sort of like free association where I dialogued with this inner voice. And by the end of that conversation, 
what that voice had explained to me to bring me back to belief again seemed like things that I wouldn't say to myself. It felt like I was arguing with God and saying, I can't be a Christian because the Bible is not the word of God. How do you you resolve all the problems and difficulties? The church is full of kooks. You know, I just go down this list. You know, I've got too many skeptical reasons. And God would answer each of those things. Um, And then at the end, he said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to work with youth in a Christian coffeehouse setting and maybe be in a band like I'd, I'd always wanted. And um, I was doing that a year and a half previous as an agnostic, where a friend said, hey, you can come in and book bands and do stuff for the ministry. And I thought, cool, because I was a believing agnostic, but I wasn't a Christian. And after not seeing that person for two and a half years, um, she called the next day and said, hey, God spoke to me and put, he put it on my heart to call you and say to come wow. back and book bands for us. And, um, you know, what, what would you say if we offered you 40000 to be a, a youth minister and we'll give you an apartment and just right out of nowhere. Um, so you're like a Jedi. Dude, you're a pastor's wet dream. <laughs> yeah, right. No, pastor- <laughs> Look at this man. He's gotten so many blessings. But yeah, the way the way you ended up, yeah, definitely a nightmare for sure. The, like he, they, you would lay out all the evidence, and I don't know where I lay. So, <laughs> like, wait, what? Everybody was open with cautious till it failed, then became very dismissive and started reversing. That's God, and then no, 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 that's Satan. Or yeah, you know, there's that thing where you save God and you save the belief system by blaming yourself. Or something you did wrong, which is also what I go through in God to and marry you. Like prophetic movement, people come in and give you personal prophecy. And if it doesn't come about, here's 15 things you did wrong as to why I can't predict your future. So it's kind of abusive. Yeah. But that, that yeah. same night that that woman called, um, when I was booking bands for that ministry a year and a half previous, um, I was at Cornerstone in 2001, and a woman gave me a ride home who was um, part of the, the ministry. She was one of the kids in the youth group. I think she was 18 or so. And she said, you know, I'm giving up on God. I think churches are abusive. I don't want anything to do with this anymore. And I said, yeah, I'm an agnostic. I don't, you know, I don't blame you. And that's the only conversation we ever had. She just drove me home from Cornerstone, and we said goodbye, and I never saw her again. Well, that night in January 2003, when God is, is giving me this dialogue and I and I say, I want to book bands and do that, he said, find that woman and share your testimony with her. Tell her that I've encountered you and spoken to you. Because one of the things I thought was that you had to prove Christianity was true through apologetics and demonstrate it to people. And what God was saying to me was, you don't have to do that. Just be honest with the personal encounter you're having and share your testimony rather than trying to prove Christianity is true. And that was a new thought for me. So when he said, find this woman and share your testimony, I said, I don't know her. I don't know her number. I haven't seen her in a year and a half. You're going to have to cross our paths. And I was working at Borders Books at the time, and my health wouldn't allow me to keep working. So I went in the um, the office to put in my two-week notice. And then as I was walking out, who's in the room watching training videos but this woman? And she comes out and says, hey, do you remember me? I drove you home from Cornerstone. And so I viewed that as, okay, God crossed our paths. So I shared my testimony with her, and she said, you're the second person God's brought along this way to try to bring me back to him. So what I'm hearing in that internal dialogue, when I see it happen in real life, where I say I would like to work with youth and bands in a Christian coffeehouse setting, and a woman calls the next day and says this, and then this, this completely random 
find this person you talked to once a year and a half ago and share your testimony. Um, so I thought, okay, that's not all in my head. And I worked at Borders, so I went to the book section and I took out um, Henry Blackaby's Experiencing God. I think there's another one called Hearing God or Hearing God's Voice. And then Dallas Willard had one. And he called it the inner audible voice. It's a voice that sounds like it's your own thoughts, but, but intuitively you know it's not you speaking to yourself. So that's what, that, what it means when people say they hear God's voice or God speaks to them. When I was at Cornerstone that same year uh, with, uh, when I met Natalie, um, earlier in that afternoon beforehand, I heard God say, take money out of the ATM. I want you to buy someone lunch and encourage him just randomly. And um, I went to uh, get rid of my, my video camera and all my stuff. And I kept like a pen and a piece of paper in my back pocket. And on my way back into the fest, this kid just goes, hey, did you see any good bands? Just some stranger. And he said, can I, can I walk with you? And then he told me he was an atheist and he was depressed and, and he was there with his youth group, but he didn't believe. So it was really, um, you know, he didn't feel like he could connect with anyone. And I said, did you eat today? And he said, no. Um, so I bought him lunch. So I viewed that again as like a very random, God spoke to me and said to do this. And then something happened that seemed to coincide with it. Um, and there, there's more examples of that as well that are written in um, God told me to marry you, but not in all the clever words on pages. But whether it's God or not, something is happening that seems to be. And when your subculture says that's God, you know, when you've got, uh, you know, Dallas Willard and Henry Black, I mean, the people around you all giving testimonies of saying, yeah, 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 God speaks to me that way, too. And God led me to my wife, too. And then they're prophesying over you and saying, yes, it's the Lord. You're kind of in a subculture where everybody's playing along together. And when it fails, watch everybody all back off. And, and, uh, it was you, not, it was you, it was your disbelief. It was all me. Right. It was, I failed to be discerning enough, you know? Yeah. And so that was, man, I, I can go into more stories, but it would, it would go on forever, but it, it made me insane at the end of it. And this is where the, the Christopher Hitchens and the Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris of the world come along and say, let's just put you back in, in the, the practical natural world where up is up and down is down and nobody can channel God and there's no supernatural. One of the things that happened too was God said, I'm healing you for what I'm calling you to do. And I want you to go home and propose to this woman. And within a month, all of my symptoms cleared up and I became completely healthy, got off disability and managed a bookstore for two years. So that being sick my whole life, and just that one word, that inner voice, hey, I'm healing you for what I'm calling you to do. And then poof, my symptoms disappear and I'm healed. Um, that I took that to be also confirmation, you know, irrefutable confirmation I'm hearing from God. And then people would call me and say, hey, God told me you're going to be a very happy man this winter. And all these prophecies start rolling in. Yeah. So when she said no, I was completely devastated. And then when I got sick again, my unbelieving family said, you're an ass." Stop hanging out with these idiots. Stop going to church. Throw your books in the garbage. No God's talking to you. You had a remission of symptoms that came back. No God healed you. Now let me know when he lengthens. Uh, you know when he when a, the quadriplegic gets out of their their wheelchair or a, a you know a, an amputee grows a leg. You know, but just symptoms coming and going. So there was this whole 
chorus of unbelievers in my life saying, please get out of this. Whatever you do, just be done with all the Christian stuff and be normal. And I just couldn't do it. Wow. It's almost as if he was playing with you. Like, it's kind of mean. Um, Playing God. God was like messing with you. It's like, oh, that one guy, (laughs) you know, that one dude, like he's like this, that, and the, but then I'm just going to bap, I'm going to be nowhere and I'm going to destroy you and read you down the wrong path. Like it's, I felt that way. I said, it felt like a cosmic prank. The the silence afterward is what killed me. Um, Well, here, I'll add one more story to this. Um, After that woman, or I already named her Natalie, um, after she'd said no to the proposal, this was on Christmas um, of 2004, and she said, um, every time God speaks to me about you, I'm covering my ears and begging that it's not you, and I keep thinking about you, and I don't know why, and my pastor said you're using charismatic witchcraft on me. And I didn't know what charismatic witchcraft was. What? <laughs> yeah, can you go back and retell that? <laughs> what? Yeah, exactly. That pastor sounds like an anti-Semite. <laughs> why? Why an anti-Semite? Oh no, they they just that's basically what you would call Jewish mysticism, or whatever you know, like stupid stuff like that. The way they use those stupid phrases. Yeah, I don't know. I don't but know it, where it. I don't know where it was born from, but it's popular in like prophetic um, circles. Interesting. That's the first time I ever heard that term. Am I the only person here that's from the same circle as you? Because your entire story and the way the hearing God and everything like that mirrors so much of my experience in the church. And to to hear people like like shocked and asking stuff, I'm like, man, like, like I'm like I'm listening over here, like, yeah, that's exactly how it is. That's exactly how it goes. I think a lot of us are shocked that other people have experienced what we've experienced. I, you know, when I'm going through it, it's hard for me to believe it's happening. So I'm going along for the journey too, and I don't know how to navigate it, which is why I'm buying these books and talking to people like, what is happening to me? I'm not mentally ill. This isn't normal. It's not like I hear voices my whole life or sign seek. But for those two years. Um, so that was just a two year period then? What's that? Really? That was just a two-year period then, really, when that was, like, heightened for you then? It was January 2003 that I had that dialogue with God, and then the woman called and said, come book bands for us. And it was Christmas of 2004 that I proposed to Natalie, and she said no. Um, So it was right in those that two-year frame. Um, When I was—I don't know how much backstory to give, but— I ended up moving to Arkansas. There's a band called Living Sacrifice. Yeah. And when I, yeah, when I, when, when I moved into Jesus People in 2000, I met Arthur Green and Matthew Putman, who were their bass player and percussionist. They were visiting uh, Jonathan Ford, who was living there at the time and was a friend of theirs. And when things weren't working out with Natalie or that ministry and it started to get like there was going to be a split and it started to get really crazy. Um, Arthur said, well, you know, you were past, you know, living sacrifice had just broken up right around the summer of Oh three Rocky went on to do evanescence. So Arthur wasn't doing anything. And I passed out all those flyers at Cornerstone on the, um, the funeral of God project and nobody had answered them. So Arthur said, why don't you just move to Arkansas, you know, move in with me and Van Buren and we'll work on that. 
So that's what I ended up doing. Uh, July of 04, I moved to Arkansas. And two weeks after I got there, Zayo came out with The Funeral of God. Yeah, that's been ringing in my head the whole time you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the previous year when I was videotaping those bands, I videotaped Zayo's set. And then I found Jesse at his merch table. And I said, hey, I videotaped your set if you want a copy of it. And he said, sure. And I gave him a flyer and said, my email is on there. You can just you can write to me over email and give me an address and I'll send it to you. So I thought he took the idea from me, even though <laughs> even though there's no evidence of that. And I think at Cornerstone that year, um, Dan gave an interview in the press tent, Zayo's vocalist, saying that he got the ideas from a dream. And his lyrics were more of a sci-fi theme. And I was going more of like the death of God and existentialism and meaninglessness. And then God encounters you and brings you back. But either way, we couldn't use the idea. And Arthur was going through a divorce at the time. So he said, well, let me let me handle this and you just settle in and we'll get working on that eventually. And then while I was praying, God said, I didn't bring you here to start a band. I brought you here because there's going to be a split in that ministry back home. But I'm bringing you back to Natalie to marry her. So you're only here temporarily. And so it was in the middle of that. And so I was praying one day and God said, there's going to be a split between the new pastor and the the founder of the ministry. He's going to try to take people with him. And you're going to get a phone call where she's going to ask you to come back and pastor and she's going to offer you the apartment again, say no. But I am going to bring you back to Natalie's life at the right time. And she's going to be really hurt by this. So reach out to her because she was loyal to both of these people who she considered great friends who are now near a split. That's quite a download from God, man. I mean, yeah, I'm this is a super specific prayer. I, I him to say hello. <laughs> that's the way I was my whole life, and I was jealous of people that could hear God this way. So when it started happening to me, I just thought, finally, this is what walking with God is like. You know, like you you can you can hear Him, and but this is from the when God spoke to me before, it was spontaneous without any spiritual discipline or anything like that. But after a while, you learn to sit still with a notepad and listen and you worship and you clear space to listen. Those seem to be the times I'm off more than often. It's the spontaneous stuff I'm not looking for that seems to be uh, on more than not. So a month after I heard all that, I got a call from that woman. She said, hey, the pastor came into the church this morning, interrupted the sermon, said, if you're a true Christian, walk out with me wants to split the church and open a new church down the street. Would do you want to come back and pastor for us? We'll give you the, the apartment. And it was everything that I'd heard. And I said, no, um, excuse me. I said, no. Um, and then it was just a, a little, like a month or two later that I woke up in the morning and God said, I'm healing you for what I'm calling you to do. And this actually, this it's as weird as this, it's five in the morning and I woke up to use the bathroom and I was about to go pee. And I heard God say, repeat after me, I won't be moved by what I see or what I hear or what I feel, but only by the word of God. So I repeated that. And then God said, I'm healing you for what I'm calling you to do. And that was it. And then I peed and went back to bed. Um, it's, it, it was that crazy. prophecy. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> but then there was a night that I, I wanted to go out to the bookstore and I just felt this huge burden not to. I put on my backpack and I went to the doorknob and God, what I believe was God speaking to me, kept saying, stay here, stay here, stay here. Don't go, don't go. 
And the whole time in the car on the way there, turn around and go home, turn around and go home. And I went in and took some books out, put the books back, go home. And it was just this, this heavy. And I finally like put my hands up like, all right, I'll go home. So there was this really heavy drawing to go home and pray. So I finally went back home and prayed. And God said, um, I want you to sell everything you own and buy a ring. And I want you to go home and propose to Natalie. And I promise you she'll say yes. And the healing was was the confirmation. Yeah, she's ready now. She'll say yes. Her ex-boyfriend is gone. And I actually had a dream that I went home to propose and he was there. And I woke up crying. And God said, it's a sin for you to worry when I'm telling you he's gone. So I sold everything I owned and I took that money and I went home uh, October of 04. And then I called her on the phone and said, hey, I'm in town if you want to get dinner. And there was no call back. So a friend of mine who had been giving me words from God saying, you're going to be a very happy man this winter and she's going to marry you. She said, I'll be praying about that. And in the middle of that, I thought maybe I was just hearing from myself. These were my own thoughts. And I was about to make a big fool of myself in front of everybody. Um, So I was praying around Thanksgiving And God said, she's going to call you in December and invite you to her family's house for Christmas, where you're going to get a ring size from her parents, and she'll say yes. And then I'll give you the next step in your calling after that. So I'm staying in this, uh, in my my grandma's upstairs flat, where I can only stay for a month, and then I've got nowhere to go. So I'm in this total walk of faith, like I'd sold everything I owned, and I got this money in my pocket to buy this ring. And I said, see, you're telling me she's going to call me, and I'm worried that she won't. So if you can confirm this through my friend Lorraine in California, who's been giving me these words all year long, I I would appreciate it. And uh, I fell asleep again, crying, because I thought this is all in my head. And my phone rang an hour later and woke me, and it was Lorraine. And she didn't even say hi. Her first words were, God said, don't worry, Natalie, we'll call you. You're going to be a very happy man this winter. And all the hair on my body stood up, and I said, is that like, did you just hear that now? And she said, no, I heard it last week when I was doing laundry, but God told me to hang on to it and tell you when to call, you know, I'll tell you when to call him. And he said, call now. So if that's not God, that's a powerful coincidence, you know? So I, um, I thought, well, this is awesome. She's going to say yes. And then God said, you're going to see something you're not going to like, but remember to believe my word and not what you see, think or feel or your circumstances. I'm telling you she'll say yes and marry you. And at the same time, a a friend of mine was sending me books and videos on the father's love. You need to see God as a father, not God, a distant being. You need to see him as someone who loves you and cares for you and guides you and would never mislead you. So stop worrying. He's there for you. And this is going to work out, you know. So I have the father's love tied into this as well. He loves me and he's guiding me. And so now God is saying, you're going to see something you're not going to like, but trust what I'm telling you and not what you see. And then the very next day, Natalie's friend called and said, hey, I heard you're back in town. Oh, by the way, she's back with her ex again. And I just felt my heart just sink. And then I thought, no, I'm going to believe God on this. He told me to propose, you know. (laughs) So I did. I waited for her phone call to be invited over on Christmas Day. And as it went down to Christmas Eve, she still hadn't called. And then we opened up gifts. And by 1130, 
I went to go to bed sad because I thought she's not going to call on this whole, all this prophecy is fake. There was a missed call from her on my phone. And I thought, here it is. She's going to invite me over to her parents' house. And I called her back and she said, not in a million years. I thought I made this go away. And here you are infiltrating my life again. And every time God speaks to me about you, I cover my ears and tell him no. And I invited my ex back into my life to, you know, it was just a very harsh, mean not in a million years, no. And I couldn't believe it. So when we got to the end of that phone call and I took the phone away from my hand, I didn't recognize my hand as real. I didn't recognize me as real. Everything in the room wobbled and I dissociated. And I stayed in that kind of broken down, dissociated state for about five years. So it just absolutely destroyed me that this wasn't going to turn out the way all this prophecy had led. So... I said, Lord, I feel completely lost. This is the long way of answering the cosmic joke, uh, the the idea that a cosmic joke was played on me. So I wrote her a letter and put it in the mail, and I said, I'm sorry I was wrong about all of this. You're free to marry anyone you want. Nobody is using charismatic witchcraft on you. Um, you know, no, it's Charismatic witchcraft is basically spiritual manipulation, almost like putting a spell on somebody against their will, is what it turns out these books say it is. Um, so I said, please be free. I'm sorry. Now I got to go figure out if any of this is true. Do I, have, do I have a relationship with God at all? And so this is why pastors hate this, because they think this ruins people's faith. If you would just read the Bible and believe in the historical evidence of Jesus or something, you wouldn't go through this. But I, I remember waking up the next morning to go to work, and I was crying, and I said, Lord, put me back on the map. I feel like I've been hearing from you for two years. I'm in your will. I did everything you said, and I obeyed. And look what happened, you know? So what am I supposed to think and where am I supposed to go from here? And my coworker at the bookstore said, hey, I'm moving to Minnesota. Is there any way we could switch shifts? Can you um, come in and close for me so I can be on the road? And I said, sure. So I went in at two in the afternoon and I held the door open for this customer that came in behind me. And he went straight to these three books and came right to the counter and put them there. So he knew right where they were. And then he slapped the top of the pile and he said, brother, sometimes we got to stay on the plan God gives us. Just random. And I laughed and I said, ha, I put a letter in the mail just this morning, you know, getting off of a plan. I was on for two years with this woman. And he goes, hey, where where do you go to church? And it ends up he goes to her church. And he said, oh, what does she look like? And I described her. And he said, I know who you're talking about. I've given her words before saying that um, that she's uh, disobeying God or something along those lines, that she's in a very dangerous place because God is speaking to her and she's spiting him by not obeying him. And she's living a double life right now where she's in the worship band and, and uh, looks like she loves God and lives a Christian life. But whenever God speaks to her, she spites him purposefully. She sabotages his word in her life. And so she's also still living in the world. She's still doing sinful things. And God's not going to let her continue on that way. And then he took a step back and he said, brother, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a prophet. And God is telling me you did not miss him. You did not miss him. You did not miss him. That was him. She was supposed to say yes. She's still your wife. And then he went on with this whole vision of there's a platform with youth and you're a kingdom marriage. And he said, I was in here this morning trying to buy these books and God told me to put them back. And I, and I was wondering why he told me to do this. 
so I put them back and then I went to old country buffet and sat with my friends. Um, and when we got done eating, they left and God told me to keep waiting. And I just sat here waiting and God said, okay, go now. So he was there that morning when I was supposed to start my shift, but we switched shifts. And so God has him waiting, you know, and tells him to go now. And he walks in right behind me. So he says, now I know why God had me waiting to encourage you. That is your, your wife. And this is going to work out and you need to keep waiting for her. And it was at that point that I just thought, am I in the fucking twilight zone? Yeah. You know what I mean? Who does this happen to? Is that God? Is that coincidence? Is he making it up on the spot because he wants to build up his profit cred? You know what I mean? <laughs> so I wrote Natalie's mom and I talked with all the Christians around me and they all said he's either from Satan or he's not from God and don't listen to him and just move on. And I thought, if we can't tell who's from God and who's from Satan, I'm out. And that's when I snapped and just started spiraling down into suicidal depression. And it was just a few months later that I met Aaron Weiss, and, and Aaron kind of helped bring me out of that over the years. Um, but God has not had a thing to say since. There's no, no words, no visions, no prophets, no signs, no sense of his presence, nothing. And you're completely and, open to that, right? I fast and pray every year for months as an atheist, and nothing comes. And uh, so I don't know what to make of it. And when I was writing God's Going to Marry You, I came across a book called God Told Me You're My Spouse by prophetess uh, Melva Rochelle Laval. <laughs> and her, her whole thesis is that this is all Satan and that these are familiar demonic spirits. And because we open doors to Satan, they're able to go into Christians around us and give false prophecy and false signs. Um, another completely insane book. So this is where <laughs> this is where my non-Christian friends and family are like, for the love of God, please, please move on from this shit forever. What what good has it ever done you? So how do I go back? And wow. well, here, here's the thing, too. I tell these stories to people and half of them go, that was definitely God. That can't be chance. And the other half shake their heads and they go, I don't see anything supernatural happening at all. You sound like a kook. So for some people, it's really convincing. And for other people, it's just you sound like an idiot. Cut it out. <laughs> I think for you know? those of us who have heard, you know, from God like that before, though, like that's the girl you're going to marry. Go after her. Like, you know, that is stuff yeah. that I've heard in my own life as well. So yeah. I know that I'm not a kook um, and, yeah. you know, it's either God or it's something in my head, you know? Yeah. And I just have to, at this point, think that it's got to have been something in my head. The fact that you have so many coincidences or, you know, I guess miracles, I guess it would be from God that, that things worked out the way they did where you had so many signs and stuff. Uh, that is pretty compelling though. I mean, that's, that's got me thinking maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I really don't have any hard answers. I did come across a, a great book called um, When God Talks Back. I think Lerman is the author. She's a sociologist who went to vineyard churches for two or three years and studied the way they hear God's voice, sense his presence, and give each other prophecy and um, sort of wrote up how th that practice looks and works in their life. And um, her assessment was that because God is not real, like a table or something in the room, you have to sort of create a conspiracy. You have to see where God's at work. And the way you do that is your, your inner feelings are real. So when you say, 
I have an inner voice or some God gave me a vision in my imagination or I felt something in my spirit, that's real. And then looking in the in the outside world for patterns or open and closed doors or where God might be at work, that's real too. Those are both real phenomenon. When you, when you combine them and you say, that's how you experience God, her point is that it's an illusion. You know, you're, you're, you're doing pattern seeking in the real world and trying to in, interpret what God might be doing in it. And then you're navel gazing and trying to find out what God might be saying. And that same conspiracy that your mind is not private and that supernatural beings have access to influence you, she says, also make Satan real. So now people start seeing Satan in this. That's the devil talking to you. That's God brought her in your past to keep you off your calling or Satan gave you a false healing and then took it away, like like the God told me you're my spouse book. So now you have to, in the same way, look for Satan's hand in the world around you or in your own life. Satan is oppressing me with depression. Satan is also helping Planned Parenthood. You know, you have to read God and Satan into things. But in her mind, God and Satan aren't real entities at work at all. This is all in our psychology. So, but even with that, I just go, the illusion that it's true is too powerful to shake, even when you know better. And it's just hard to, right. fit, to to reconcile, like, is this all just a bunch of groupthink, you know, like God, Satan and all that? What, I mean, what do you make of that? What do you mean by groupthink? Well, like it's we, we create it together. Like yeah, it's a big, almost like mass drama. hysteria. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's uh, you know, and this I've made the claim. Right. I've made the claim that I think maybe there's some sort of evolutionary purpose to why we have connections, uh, you know, where where um, I might, you know, know something that's going to happen to somebody next to me. Right. Like some sort of what the Christians would call prophecy or, you know, maybe the mystics would call psychic abilities. Um, yeah. And then it does happen. Why is that? Is it because I'm very intuitive and I can like gauge the situation uh, or is it because we are connected somehow and there's some sort of, you know, uh, and I guess if we are connected, is that evolution or, you know, some, something that's evolutionary that's that uh, is a primal thing that's just in our brains or is that God? You know, what what is that 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 we can do that? So you would you would say something real is happening it's just it could be it might be explained naturally by science one day like there's an energy connection sure, or sure yeah well i do in um in god told me to marry you uh at the end of 2015 a friend called me and said hey I, I heard all your stories can i tell you some of mine you might not think i'm crazy he'd also been through a lot of those things um but he ended up going the route of psychics and mediums and tarot cards so he had a lot of incredible stories to tell and his experiences with that. And then he said, you know, let me give you a reading as thanks for writing down all my stories. And he predicted that by June of 2016, I would meet my soulmate who was fated and that we would run into each other and just know. He said he'd been given readings for 30 years and had never been wrong on a major detail in his life. So he was absolutely positive that this was going to happen and it never happened, you know. Nothing in his, his reading of any substance happened. Do you and think, now he was, he when, was shocked and posed too. When did he give you this reading? Um, New Year's Eve on 2016. Is this before or after Emily? Uh, after. Okay, okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so the, the woman that I ended up marrying, that was 
uh, I met her in 2006. We married in 2008. Our marriage ended in 2010. So this is uh, 2016. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and and to hear his stories, they're absolutely amazing. And then I, it, he actually gave a reading to a friend of mine um, who did not share any of these details in her life with him or me about decisions that she just made the previous week. And, and she said he was right on with 80% of that. Like every, they're, they're total strangers and I don't know her that well. She's a coworker. There's nothing on social media. And I said, record it so I can hear it and see if you're feeding him any data. You know, right, I wanted to do right. the whole like My- Michael Shermer skeptic, like here's how you test and see if there's fake psychics and mediums, things like that. Um, and she said he was right on and everything he predicted came true. So he said, yeah, man, sit back and relax. I said, is that, is that amazing to you that you were that accurate? And he said, no, I know my gifting. I've been doing this for 30 years. And yet my reading is the only one that's failed and it puzzles him too. And I said, you know, I feel like a cosmic prank is being played on me. I feel like there's an X over me, like those horror films where they scratch out people's faces with markers on the pictures. Right. I feel like no blessing can come to me. And he said, yeah, I feel the same way too. Because he'd also had predictions for his life that didn't come about, despite the, the very specific ones that did. So then it just became commiserating with what the hell is going on here? You know what I mean? Right. We couldn't come to any answers. But I added that in the book as yet another example. If you go into the New Age movement, there are also psychics and mediums hooking people up on visions and energies and twin flames and soulmates. There's like a whole cottage industry of that there as well. Wow. There's some head shaking going on. Well, so I'm really curious to know a couple of things about you. So you, you talked earlier about being part of Jesus people and that's where you met Arthur uh, green from living sacrifice. So can you tell me a little bit, a little bit about your time with Jesus people and, and what that was like? Yeah, I, it was suggested, uh, I, I was dating somebody for a year and a half in 98 and 99, and she asked me to propose to her, and her dad said, not unless he makes 50000 a year and has at least 10000 in the bank when he proposes. So oh she broke, <laughs> yeah, so she broke up with me and said, you'll never be able to take care of me. And, um... So people say, and you know, again, I'm sick with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia. I can't build a career. So people said, hey, if you just do like the Bohemian thing, you want to be in a band and you want to work with Christian music and, and, and write and draw and do stuff like that. Jesus people is right here in town. You should go. So I started working at a place called The Alley, which is like a heavy metal um, T-shirt shop in Chicago. And one of the women there had just moved out of Jesus people. So she said, why don't you, I'll take you uh, for a trip to see it. And I moved in instantly. So the first day I moved in is when I met Matthew and Arthur visiting John. Um, I knew a little bit about Jesus people from a book called um, Churches That Abuse by Ronald Enroth. I think there's another one called More Churches That Abuse. And he pointed out that it had very cultic tendencies. So I thought if anything like that happened to me, I'd leave on the spot, you know. Um, so they, they have you sign a contract when you move in, but they want you to live there for a year to see what it's like first to see if you can handle it. So they're very upfront. This isn't for everybody. 
there's a lot of rules here because there's a lot of people on drugs or former addicts or people who need a lot of discipline and structure and everyone in the community has to kind of go along with that so um so when i moved in hopeful to start a band and do those things it, it became apparent really quick that every aspect of my life was controlled in a in a very negative way um I took the bus home to visit my family in town and they said, you can't do that because there's people here from other states who don't get to visit their family. So it's not fair. Um, I wasn't allowed to see my family. You're not allowed to leave the building unless you have a buddy with you and uh, like an accountability buddy. And if they don't want to go with you, you can't leave. You're stuck in the building. Um, we got a group of eight people together once to go to the beach and the coordinator said, it looks like double dating because it's four boys and four girls, so we can't let you go. And we all had to stay. Um, you know, you work 40 hours a week and then you're overworked and asked to stay later. Um, in the ships where they pay you money, if you're doing overnight desks, they would fail to pay me or they would only give me half to go down the street and get a hot dog in the middle of the night. It wasn't even enough for like a, uh, like a hot dog, fries and drink. It was just like four dollars instead of eight. And then they'd say, go downstairs in the donation room and eat the crackers. It was just like at, at every level you were controlled and, and invalidated. So it eventually got to a point where I just, I think I was reading John Shelby Spong, who was like mm. a liberal Christian author. Yeah. And I was, or actually I was doing that and my, a friend of mine asked about whether or not hell was a literal place of fire. So I had a book from the library on the various views of hell. And they told me that I could not read that. And they gave me C.S. Lewis. They, it was one guy, the, your family head, you know. And he said, that's negative. That's the enemy. Don't read that. And he gave me Heaven by C.S. Lewis, literally controlling what you read. And single, single guys and single girls are not allowed to talk for longer than one minute or even be in the same place together. So if you're wow. working, yeah, if you're working like the phones in the front, and, and a girl comes and sits at the desk behind you, you got to be out of there in one minute's time. So a youth group came to visit, and one of the girls from the youth groups came to the desk and was talking to me about, you know, so what's Jesus people like? And it's like the police kept coming and breaking up the conversation. And I'm just she trying started, to witness, man. Yep, right. <laughs> and she started crying and said, I've never been more humiliated in my life. Like, what do they think we're going to do? Jump on the counter and, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So... I couldn't, um, I couldn't thrive. It just felt like every thought and movement you had had to be policed or there was something wrong with it or it had to be controlled. So you learn to almost check with authority with every step you take. Can I eat this? Can I go there? Can I talk to that person? Can I leave? Can I come home? Can I call my family? And it just killed my, my soul. So I said, you know, this is too cultic for me. I'm going to leave. And I had a discussion with another uh, roommate there. And he said, don't go getting all negative on me or I swear I'll punch you in the face. And he threatened to fist bite me <laughs> over me saying that, you know, and he gave me a Bible verse about how we're to obey our authorities from Romans, you know. And uh, so I just called my mom that night and I said, come get me. I'm out of here. I can't. I cannot do this. How old were you at that point? How old were you? I think 23, right around that. Yeah, I was in 2000. And how long did you end up staying? Three months. Oh, okay. I was yeah. wondering if you'd stayed the whole year or not. I couldn't do it anymore. People said to me, people kept saying that there was a, a, a pastor's daughter there that had grown up and moved out and came back and you need to talk to her. 
So I left a note in her mailbox saying, hey, can you help me out? You know, give me pointers on on how to live here. And she didn't answer. And the guy who threatened to punch me said, oh, uh, so-and-so is reading your note downstairs, you know, flirting with her. And they just turned it into this whole, again, like you're not supposed to be talking to girls. So I thought everything that is normal in the real world is turned upside down here. And it just turned my brain to mush. But again, now I got to get out of here. Did, uh, did you start going to Cornerstone because of uh, Jesus people or was that you were going to Cornerstone before that? No, I knew about it for years. I just didn't have anyone to go with me over the years. I was a fan of like Tourniquet and Deliverance and Vengeance Rising and those old metal bands from the early 90s. So I saw Cornerstone footage of them and always wanted to go. But 2000 was my first year there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, I guess, um, you know, it's interesting that you and I were both at Cornerstone 2003 um, and we were at the exact same shows. I'm certain you've mentioned several of them that I was at at the exact same time. Oh, yeah. It just it's so interesting to me to think that, like, all these things that happened to you, you know, at Cornerstone, I was there with you, but but we didn't know each other. You know, it's it's, that blows my mind. You know, I'm from Texas. Yeah. and it's uh, crazy. Later on, we would come together over that. Uh, I think that's really neat. I remember someone drowned in the lake there that year. Yes. They yeah. Did. Yeah. And I and here I was getting these signs from Natalie, and I just kept saying, "Well, God, you're mysterious. I mean, why why would you <laughs> tell me to take money out of an ATM and help a kid and giving me these signs for Natalie?" And you know, I just thought the world's a big place because people would say to me like, "Oh, who are you, Moses? Like, oh, God's speaking to you, and you got a calling." You know. There's almost an elitism in that, um, you know, that your favorite or specialness happens to you and not other people. So why are you so special that God would speak to you and call you, but not protect that guy who drowned in the lake, you know? Right, right. So I, yeah, so I had to take this position of like, you know, I don't know. All I know is something is happening that I'm paying attention to here. I, I don't know how God's running his universe. You know, it's so funny because I had... I didn't really care to use the public showers or anything there. So I had just, I would just bathe in the lake and really? the whole time there's a dead guy in there. Mm. God. Exfoliation. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> the water there smelled like kind of rotten eggs and sulfur. It was nobody bad. wanted to shower that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if I can speak to the, that idea of elitism, I mean, I, um, I kind of grew up in a, in a, it's very similar culture, but I was always the guy that it wasn't happening to. Um, So I was always like, am I the only one here that's not hearing from God? Like all my other friends just had the Holy spirit descend on them and they're speaking in tongues. I'm not speaking in tongues. And it's Uh, weird. (laughs) So I was always the guy that wasn't. Um, And I did a lot of of, um, research and talking in over the years. And, uh, and that, that idea that you're the special one, right? I mean, there's, there are multi-billion dollar franchises built on that, right? Like Harry Potter, you're the special boy who's a wizard. And you know, like, you know, this, that, that, all these things that are based on the idea that you're the special one. Like life has always secretly been about you being special. Truman Show. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And, well, um, and I think like, and I'm not saying that that's like a thing that everyone projects on themselves, but I see it a lot, especially in some of my friends, who are still in those in that culture and um and they reinterpret their lives i'm like 
you're you live in northern New York. There's like two people and a cow around, you know. And in their mind, they're like, I have this great ministry. <laughs> yeah, there's like, always oh, there's okay. always uh, the nations are calling is a very right? similar similar riff. The nations, the angels are preparing money for those trips, you know. Well, in, in Pentecostal circles, it's the idea that you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, and then you get these spiritual gifts that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians. But for Henry Blackaby, who was a Baptist, and um, Dallas Willard, their books on hearing God, it's more of a general mysticism. Like, this is for every believer. This teaches every believer you can have a conversational relation with God and be led by him. So I didn't feel like it was special to me. I just felt like I went from this agnostic I'm alone in the world and there's no purpose to God coming in and saying, I'm with you and I got a plan for you. Like he said, I'm restoring the years of the locusts of Eden. And a year later, I went to church for the first time and a guy laid hands on me and he said, God is showing me he's restoring the years of the locusts of Eden. You know, that's also a confirmation in our subculture. But to me, it was like, now I have good news. God loves us. God speaks to us. You can walk with him. He has a plan for your life. He'll heal you. So to me, it didn't. I didn't feel special. I felt like I was in on something everyone else was doing who had read these books. Like there were people who've gone on before me, learned in this, where it was just common ear from God. And when everything had happened at the end of it all, um, I expl- uh, an old pastor came into the bookstore I was working in, and he said, I pastor a church, and I, I lock the doors and lay on the floor and pray every New Year's looking for God's agenda for our church. And I hear nothing for weeks. And boy, you're just, you're hearing for every little detail every week, huh? You know? And there's sort of a, hmm, is that really God, you know? But but that book, um, when God talks back, the the, uh, the author who said you're looking for these, these inner feelings and these outer experiences, um, it's a shoddy way for God to communicate if you can always confuse it with your own thoughts or Satan can come in with deceiving. So there's sort of this whole idea of like, is this really the best God can do where you've, you know what I mean? Where you've got to learn to practice <laughs> navel gazing and sort out what's you and God and Satan. And for non-believers, like I, I, I use the word non-believers, but I just mean like my non-Christian friends and family, they all have jobs and money and wives and their lives are going fine. And they're like, look, no Jesus. And we have all of this stuff. So <laughs> can you get rid of the Jesus and unclutter your mind of all of this nonsense and just be normal? The ball game is on. Go watch the game and eat chicken wings. Go to a bar and ask a woman out like a normal person. Like, just go be normal. And to this day, even after like a decade of atheism, it's very, very hard for me to be practical and and normal. It's a part of who you are, you know. It's shaped you. Well, I, I think we all have different temperaments. In that, in that book, uh, When God Talks Back, the author talks about something called the absorption scale, or people who can be absorbed in their own inner life through meditation or spending a lot of alone time can make that feel as real as everything else. But for people who don't naturally have that, prayer and meditation is boring to them. So when she interviewed people in the vineyard who were going through these courses and asking, you know, what did you experience or how did it happen for you? She also tested them on the, on the absorption scale and it, and it corresponded that the people who just didn't get anything out of navel-gazing and they weren't built in a way where that could resonate with them to begin with. So there's a lot of this idea of how your 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 Christianity or your spiritual practice or even your theology 
is almost it it resonates with you because you already have a temperament and personality type that it can resonate with. You're predisposed to it. Yeah. yeah. It can't shape you if you're not, you know, I, I've always had this sort of rescuing personality in, in, in uh, relationships. So for me, the, the Armenian God who is a passionate lover who will do anything to die for you and begs you to come to him because he just wants to love you, that was a God I could relate with. But this Calvinist sort of, he's got it all under control and he elects who he wants to save. He seemed like a monster to me. And yet for other people that don't have this sort of sensitive rescuing personality who are strong, stoic men, they identified quite well with the Calvinist God who is cool and calm and collected and has it all under control. So like John MacArthur would say, God is not this emotionally out of control thing like all these charismatics act like. That's blasphemy. And charismatics go, well, God is not some stodgy, heady intellectual like John MacArthur either. You can see how both are trying to claim God for their, their own temperament or their own image. Their own tribe, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, man, I have so much that I want to say, and we don't have enough time to get into it. This has been crazy awesome. Like, your stories and the timeline... What's so? What was the timeline that you went to Cornerstone after the Jesus people? Like, how long of a time period was there? You're 23 at Jesus people. You left that, and then you had that two year period after that where you're hearing God's voice on crazy levels. Jesus people and the first Cornerstone was 2000. In 2001, I was helping out in that coffee house ministry as an agnostic. And then at the beginning of 2003, I had that dialogue with God that brought me back to him. Um, and then I got that phone call to come get involved again. And it was at Cornerstone in 2003 that I met Natalie, um, moved to Arkansas in July of 2004. And then I proposed to Natalie that, um, or tried to propose. It was, it was preempted <laughs> before I could even get there. But that was Christmas of 2004. And then the uh, prophet guy walking in the bookstore was January of 05. Um, I met Aaron Weiss at Cornerstone 05 and became an atheist in 06. And things have not changed very much since then. So it was more like a six-year kind of period that, that kind of like the ball started rolling and then came to a screeching halt type thing. Yeah. yeah. Are you familiar at all? Um, have you came across any master's commission um, are you familiar with any of those schools that, or the discipleship programs like that? Oh, I've heard the name. I think there were guys in a band called Beloved that were doing that. It's associated with the Assemblies of God, so it's like real Pentecostal. But I mean, most of a lot of the teachings center around hearing God's voice and like being led by like signs or being led by that inner voice and trusting that. And like, I mean, I still don't know where I land with all that. Cause I still think that people can hear God's voice. And I don't know, I, I, as I'm hearing you tell your story and that you've came out the other end as an atheist, I just, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. <laughs> like, yeah. I mentioned that I, earlier. A lot of people yeah. when I yeah, tell me that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm open to it having been God all along, I just don't know for certain. I think in some sense, if it, it feels almost like a, I don't know if you ever see those uh, cartoons where like the 
a time warp opens on the wall and they jump through into another world, but they got to hurry up and get back before the time warp closes. Otherwise, they're trapped forever. It felt like something opened over me and all this activity happened. I'm going to heal you and I'm going to put you, uh, you know, uh, you're going to be married and in ministry and your life is going to go. And when I proposed and Natalie said no, I remember God saying, I'll give you the next step in your calling on the other side of this. And then God told me to marry you. There's a guy named Derek Prince who he has a story of two women that God had given him, his first wife and then when his wife died, his second one. And um, he had a similar thing with his second wife where God showed him a vision of her at the beginning of the path that they had to be together to move on in that calling. Otherwise, he couldn't do it. So when Natalie said no, it felt like a door had shut on our calling together. And it's as if God had nothing to say after that. Like, okay, then have it your way. And then the portal closed. And then it's just like, nut. and now it's just been a flat line ever since. I just visited my mom this week and I said, I go through my photo albums for years and it's nothing but this dark, dense, flat line of nothingness. My, my health collapsed further. I, you know, I got married to a woman who really loved me, but ended up being bipolar and had um, borderline personality disorder. And it was a, a really difficult ending that, that, um, you know, there was a, a mental hospital involved and a renewing of vows and trying, trying really, really hard to save that marriage. And we couldn't do it. And then I just sort of end up spat out on an, out of the end of that feeling cosmically rejected, feeling thrown off course from a plan, um, feeling like a cosmic prank had been played on me and then just left for, for dead. Uh, and I became sick and started seeing doctors who couldn't help. So it's just been this year, just years of feeling like I'm already dead and trying to jumpstart my life somehow. And I just still haven't been able to really crawl out of that hole. That's why in all the clever words on pages, I show 10 years of that. And I show Aaron Weiss kind of showing up like this ray of light who's constantly loving and kind and, and good. So I try to look back over the past decade and see I'm trying to eke good out of it. But when you've been traumatized that way, you can't just get up and move on. It takes years and sometimes a lifetime to recover from disillusionments and traumas. So I'm in a, a space that I don't want to be and that I never imagined I would be in as a result of hearing God's voice. And the confusion of being open and saying, I'm waiting for you to speak again. You know, I'm willing to live for you and do anything. And to get nothing from that is difficult. Hmm, that's but, interesting. So what, what keeps you going? Like what I know a lot of people would say, especially in the Christian world, well, you don't have God. So that's obviously why you feel the way you do nowadays and this and that. But what gives you hope uh, if the Christian world would look at you and say you you uh, have no God? So that's why you have no hope. What keeps you yeah. going right now? I think um, avoiding a tragedy like suicide that would be so painful for so many people that I, I don't want to do something like that, but I often don't want to be alive. And that's two different things. When, when, I, was, when I was suicidal, um, after I'd lost my faith and, and Aaron Weiss played that role in, in rescuing me, um, when I got married, that woman I call Emily in the book, she was very sweet and very loving and, and uh, started to bring me back to life. So I remember the point that I felt like I don't have an impulse to want to kill myself anymore. I just wish I was dead. 
And that was such a great feeling of like, oh, I'm finally on solid ground. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I wasn't in this place of, of constantly being pulled by the impulse. But severe depression was like a great break from those suicidal impulses. And then from that standpoint, you just go, okay, how can I rebuild love or how can I rebuild hope or how can I keep seeking? And, you know, for Aaron Weiss, it was God is unconditional love who is available right now. All you have to do is tap into him or believe he's there. You know, reality itself is beautiful. Stop seeking a personal God to appear and speak to you and do these things. Uh, almost a sense of which you just need to open your eyes and discover light is already here and you're already in the middle of it. Just change your perspective. Right. Um, you know, so there's things along those ways that that kind of helped me get to a healthier and healthier place. But I was in I was probably 80 percent back to life when I got married. And when that marriage fell apart, I, it just crashed back down to the bottom again. Um and then became severely ill and just been in this flat line. So it's tough because I still struggle with all those things, de depression. And um, I mean, I'm still heartbroken. I, I still think back to those times and it hurts just as bad. Th those are those are big losses. And all these years, I've not been able to replace them with anything as powerful as those experiences, whether it's God speaking or the hope of a plan for my life or the, the loving someone and being married, or all these things that matter. So I still pray that same prayer I did in 2003. All I ever wanted was for you to exist and love me and have a plan for my life and someone to share it with. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to want to die all the time. But when you're heartbroken and you're put in that place, you're disillusioned and devastated, and you have a chronic illness that gives you pain on top of that all the time, it's very hard to ever feel good or come out of that. So I'm just trying to, um, the only thing that really helps me is when I worship, whether there's a God mm -hmm. or not. If I lay there in that bed and close my eyes yep. and just love God who might be there or ask him to be with me, even if I don't know if he's there, that's the only thing that gives me any comfort at all. If I could just lay in a bed in pain and pray, it's worth something. You know, I, it's all I got. Um, so, you know, writing these books, I feel like I'm foisting all that pain onto people. So I'm I'm almost apologetic of no, talking I, I about think the, this. No. I know. think the books are what keep you going, man. I think writing is what 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 is a really good motivator for you. And I guarantee that people are reading these books and they're not thinking, wow, what the hell is this? They're thinking, wow, this is me. This yeah. is me. Like that is me. I looked for signs and I looked for different things and I felt every single thing that this guy has, has felt. And even up until now, like you're saying, like we had a mental health episode and, and we all, almost all of us deal with mental health issues. I think every human alive in 2018 has a mental health issue. So I think the writing, man, the writing alone, do not ever second guess that. That yeah. that's one thing that is always going to be a positive in your life. Even if it's even if it's your your wife, you know, you know, if you find yourself in your 50 and you're still writing, hey, find comfort in that. You know, be be comfortable in that. I always think I always thought I'm gonna sabotage whatever woman, you know, whatever relationship I could have in the future when they read this and find how crazy all this is. No, <laughs> you know? 
So if somebody can read all that and still decide to marry me one day, that's probably the one. <laughs> yeah, just say, hey, uh, I know you want to date me, but go ahead and read a couple of these books and see if no. you can get back to me. <laughs> don't, don't read them, yeah. Your story is so powerful, and you articulate it so well, Paul. You really do. Even You say this is your first podcast, man, but the way you can tell your stories and bring us all into it and your openness and vulnerability, I, I applaud you. And if you, I mean, if you write any way that you speak, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to read your books. Um, Thank you. Like, yeah. I, this has been, I mean, you've touched, like it's definitely, I'm one of those that Andy was just talking about. Like, I mean, you're telling my story, you know? You know wow. I mean? And that's what, that's why when I'm asking these questions. I'm like, okay, so how do you, you know, cause we're all at a, um, what do we call it? Rebuilding our faith, I guess, or reverse engineering. Use the word, what's that? Deconstruction. Reverse engineering. Is kind of, yes, reverse engineering. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Um, and so, hearing hearing your your story, and even with the you know crying out to emptiness or whatever, there's something there, and that's finding comfort in that. I mean, that means a lot to a lot of people. I mean, whether you whether you believe or you don't, I mean that. That, that's that's primal i feel like like that screaming into the void it is primal. Yeah, yeah it really is yeah. it's belief keeps rising back against my will so intellectually i could say i don't believe any of this at all i don't know what to think about anything at all but something arises that needs to be expressed so it's almost like you you helplessly end up in that place mm. You know, you live for years. I would pray and say, if your love for me depends on my thoughts about you, I'm screwed. You just have to love me no matter how screwed up my theology is, because I don't know anything at all. All these years of apologetics and systematic theology and experiences and in and out of all these various forms of Christianity. And I'm left with zero as far as on the trail of anything that's true. So there's a sense in which you have to be true and I will be a victim of your love, and that's it. I don't know any other dynamic we could have. And you're God. You don't need me. It's not like you're at a loss because I don't love you correctly or something. I'm the one who needs you, so I'm just going to throw it out there. I need you, and that's it. And then, you know, I've served the ball into his court, and it's up to him to serve it back, you know. And you, and you can't go back to, like, understanding God the same way you did in 2003 or 2008 or anything because it's like— you've know you've experienced too much at this point. So like even if you even if you do see signs or you're gonna process it all in a completely different way, it's not gonna mean the same thing. It's gonna to have to be something different, something completely new. Absolutely. Yeah. That's that's why the book I'm writing now is called Deconversions with an S. It's just it's moving on from one thing to the next and every time you find something new, you're assimilating everything that's come before. You know, it's it's you don't end up in like, now I found the right theological camp or now I found the right denomination. You just, you become more complex as your life goes on. Well said. Well yeah. Said. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about your new book that you're writing? Like what, uh, what are some of the themes? The themes are, um, it's, it's memoir, but it's more reflection on the, the beliefs and then what caused them to change. So it's, you know, the, the, the idea of my dad dying and thinking about the afterlife and seeking God gets me on that path. And then my mom marrying into a born-again Christian family, what if she had not been dating that guy and I never ran into that family? I might not have ever been born again or stepped foot in a church. 
but I'm led in that direction where I'm immediately introduced to Benny Hinn and the Word of Faith movement and televangelists and young earth creationism and speaking in tongues. So as time goes on, you start to doubt those things. You know, uh, Hugh Ross and progressive creation comes out and challenges the young earth stuff. Benny Hinn gets exposed on Inside Edition and by Hank Hanegraaff. Uh, you know what I mean? Just so each thing along the way moves you and changes you. Um, so the whole idea is just to show how, as you go through your life, I mean, it's cliche now to say spiritual journey or something like that, but it's meant to show that as you grow and change, you can mark all your influences along the way. Some book you've run into, some person who's come into your life, some disillusionment that's come along, or in my case, getting the gift of tongues where, the, you know, I'm 15 years old and the, the minister says, you're going to uh, feel something bubble in your chest, um, you know, just let go and let God do that. And he taps me on the chest and I see fire shoot out of my body and I'm shaking for hours in what people call the Kundalini experience, you know, in the, in the new age. But just this whole reorientation of how I see reality based on this insane mystical experience. So even as an agnostic with all the arguments against Christian apologetics, I still remember that powerful experience and say something happened. And then that keeps you on the trail where you just keep looking into new things. So the whole idea is to show that you're, um, every time you think you arrived, you, you haven't. There's always something new ahead of you or some new perspective or something that's gonna keep changing you along the way. So uh, the whole project of kind of knowing the truth and standing for the truth the way I was taught as a teen, here it's all packaged up and handed to you. Just know right doctrine, read the word of God, and preach the truth to people, and you've got it all figured out. That's not the way life works. Right. There's right. very little integrity in something like that, I think. But for people who are doubting and deconstructing and afraid that they're they're hurting God or letting God down or... Um, I, I don't know. I guess it's all of that. I mean, it's really whatever a reader gets out of it. I, even writing all the clever words on pages and God told me to marry you, I didn't have one direct message. I just thought, I mean, the first the first um, thing that I got back, uh, the first email I got from somebody after reading all the clever words on pages was a woman who was borderline and related with my my wife and said, everything your wife did to you, I've done to somebody. Thank you for portraying borderline personality disorder so well and i thought of all the things <laughs> it wasn't me without you it wasn't aaron weiss it wasn't the history of tooth and nail it wasn't atheism theology it was just that thing so i don't know what people will get out of it but i've learned just to write your story and then it, once it's out of your hands the, the reader takes away whatever they want you know even the negative reviews where they just go this is total shit and i didn't get anything out of this that's fine it's you well, know, not everyone's going to like I am certainly going to read your books, Paul. I, I, I can't even thank you enough for coming on here and talking to us and <laughs> letting us be an avenue for, for you and your amazing writing and your crazy experience. I mean, the, hearing your experience now makes me wonder what I ever did in church. <laughs> <laughs> so, so thank you so much, man. And do you have a website or a place where people can get your book? No, just on Amazon. You can go to Amazon and um, look up all the clever words on pages or God told me to marry you. Otherwise, I'm on Facebook. Um, again, because of my, my um, 
having very little energy, I can't really go out and promote the books. And being on disability, I really don't have money to build websites and advertise and do things like that. So um, this is as low-key and word-of-mouth as possible. So I'm on Facebook, and the books are on Amazon. There's also, I have a YouTube channel as well, but it's not really dedicated to, to the writing. Yeah. Do you, do you want people to visit that? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, I, I, get, I don't even know what it's, I think it's under Paul Harrison. I don't even know. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll okay. say this. Yeah. I'll say this. I actually follow Paul on Facebook and Paul is constantly going on. I say constantly. He's, he's a really funny guy. And so he, he, you know, has a very, interesting perspective about the world. And I find myself, um, really enjoying his posts. Uh, he also comes on and he'll, uh, you know, have these theological discussions and I'm just riveted and I can't not watch it. I'll need to go to bed cause I have to go to work in the morning, but I'll sit there and watch it for two hours, you know, and, and think, God, I can't turn this off cause it's so good. Um, so I certainly recommend that you follow Paul on Facebook. Um, cause he's got lots of really good videos that he does. Sometimes he'll even like, um, go live and just, uh, have a sketch pad and say, what do you want me to draw? And he'll just start drawing. Oh, yeah. and it's, it's, fun. I haven't done that for a while. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I, I love it when you do that. So, um, I would definitely recommend, uh, for people to follow Paul on Facebook for sure. You bring up a good point, though. Dark humor also gets you through. <laughs> that's right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the humor well, I, I find like, most funny, uh, I think. I feel like I've hijacked the conversation and I really didn't get to know you guys very much. So I apologize. It's all about you, man. It's all about you. That's weird. Isn't that a worship song? It's weird. I'm coming back <laughs> to the... No. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> Paul, um, I just want to thank you so much uh, for coming on tonight and talking to us and being um, completely, uh, you know, I guess, transparent with your story. I know that is not probably an easy story to tell, but I really feel like there's a lot of people who are going to resonate with your story. I think there's a lot of people who can benefit from it. I know for a fact, after reading all the clever words on pages, that I certainly resonated with your story and um, was excited to get to know you a little bit better. Um, so uh, I am going to be reading uh, your book, God Told Me to Marry You, and I can't wait for your next book, which um, you said was called Deconversions, right? With an S? Yeah. Yes. Deconversions. With which will probably be, I'm trying to get the first draft done by Christmas and then kind of craft it through the spring so probably late next year that should be available and i've been writing all the clever words on pages part two you know me without you has those part two songs yeah that's right um nice. yeah so i have about 120 pages of that but not enough to fill a book yet but with the new album coming out i'll see aaron a few more times over the next couple of years so if there's enough to get together a full book i'll do a, a part two that's awesome that's cool. We'll be waiting for that. Thank you, Paul. Yeah. Thank you so much, Paul. Yeah, I mean, I'll be listening to the podcast and getting to know you guys through that. But I mean, obviously, we can um, we can even talk. Yeah. Not on yeah, the I, podcast. I feel like I gained a friend. Guys. This is amazing. Your story was so yeah, great. Yeah, I man. sent you a friend request right just now. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we're already friends, but I'll be definitely talking to you about some stuff like very cool. recently, very very soon. I already did. I already deleted that friend request. Oh, shit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you real quick. Do you have the app Marco Polo? 
I do. Okay, so um, I guess, how do you add people on that? Do you have to have their phone number? Yes. Okay, well, I have his phone number, so I'm going to add him to our group. He has to um, first is this, download is the this app, a no, secret he he way of it. asking for a guy's number, Chris? No, I've, I've got his. I've got his number. That's your department. You're supposed to ask guys for their Smooth. numbers. <laughs> <laughs> you did it well. <laughs> Paul, once again, thank you so much um, for taking the time out of your day. I know that you know this is probably something that for for a normal person like me who doesn't have any health issues is no no big deal to sit around and talk to people. But for you, it could be completely draining. And so I thank you for for using that energy. Uh, to talk with us and to hang yes. out with us today and to tell us your story. Yeah, I appreciate you inviting me on and paying attention to any of this at all. You know, half half the time I, I want to take the books off of Amazon and don't want to talk about it at all. And when people show interest like this or say that it moved them in some way, it, it encourages me to not to take them down. So, no, definitely yeah. Not. Don't ever take them down, Paul. Thank you. Yeah, it was good to meet you guys. Great Likewise. to meet you too, man. I'm going to add you to yeah. our group right now. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk again soon. Okay. Yeah, very soon then. <laughs> Bye, Paul. All right, thanks, Bye, Paul. So, hold on, let me figure this out. Yeah, I gotta figure out how to hang up. Okay, there we go. The big old yeah, there you go. <laughs> so, what do you guys think? Dude, that, that dude's great. an all star. That dude is awesome. I they can still, still hear you guys. <laughs> oh, no, unbelievable. He's an idiot. That just sucks. <laughs> That's my fault because I don't know how to hang up. I just downloaded oh. Skype on my phone today. Me without you sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I've been going to their shows for years by myself because all of my friends and family think exactly that. They're like, oh, we'll drop man. you off, but we're not stepping foot in there. Their first couple of albums are even, amazing. Even Aaron's mom won't go to shows. She's like, yeah, I'm proud of them, but I can't stand all that screaming <laughs> i don't know once i can learn how to hang up guys then i'll um so on the center of the screen button? on the bottom there's a plus sign yeah. you hit that it opens up a menu and there's a hang up option on the far right i uh, see all right i'll hang up so you guys can gossip some more and say how <laughs> awesome you are thanks paul all right i'll That's talk to you guys like soon to bye paul <laughs> bye. great that is really funny. <laughs> that was an incredible interview. Um, Paul is an incredible guy. And as I was listening to that story, there's one piece that really sticks out to me. And that was the guy at the bookstore that came over and like told him all of those really specific details. Like he was like knew too much, the, the individual that said those things. And I, I wanted to see what you guys felt about that. What did you take away? I was from thinking that? either creepy stalker or <laughs> narcissist seeking attention and just like getting as many details as he can and then affirming all bad things or something. You know, like no way. That was prophet of God, dude. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay. That was that was bona fide prophet. He walked right out of the old testament and right into that bookstore. And was just like delivering spitting knowledge and dropping bars for Jesus. What kind of crazy <laughs> I mean, shit? What kind of crazy shit do you think it would be that like Natalie had, uh, you know, she paid that guy to go in and tell tell Paul that? Oh, it wouldn't. It's totally possible. That's totally possible. That is exactly where my mind was going, was that this person like not knows Natalie, but like was engineering that. Um, and I, I have a quick question. How many of you guys had people prophesy to you often, like when you 
like go to the bookstore or the coffee shop or McDonald's. Can you ask Can you us that, that one more time? Are you do you encounter people speaking prophecy into your life on a regular basis or is mm. that something that's I know. Know. Not never since I left the church. <laughs> I've never had a have well, you know what? I had one time it happened to me and I uh he was actually <clears throat> excuse me. He was actually speaking tongues and was trying to push me over and I kept being like, What are you doing? And he was trying to push me over. And I I basically I said, Can you please stop? And he said, he said, sit down, sit down. So I was like, Oh, okay. Like it I don't know if I was just broken or (laughs) And this person was on the street? No, I, I should should have prefaced that. It was in a like a men's group uh, type of setting, like probably like sixty guys in a in a church on a Tuesday night. Yeah, Andy, you're like me. It was like it was happening to everyone else except you. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah, I, I was balls deep in all that stuff. Like I was the person at the bookstore handing out prophecies to people. Like no law. Dang, I couldn't picture you being that guy. I really couldn't. I really can't picture that either. Yeah. Omar, do you think that kind of like the guy in the bookstore with Paul? Do you think that maybe? And and I hate to you know put this on you, but do you think that maybe some of the prophecy that you you know? And of course, your intention was good. You think you're helping people by doing this, but do you think you might have actually caused harm to people by that? Uh, now, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, like no, no doubt about it. Like I feel like that that's definitely caused all kinds of levels of trauma. Especially, I mean, just hearing Paul's story, it makes it obvious. Because I mean, even if you're right, I mean, eventually you're gonna be wrong. I mean, it's like you're. Pl- I mean, you're not like. Doesn't matter if you're in some sort of mysticism or you're a Pentecostal Christian, which is pretty much Christian mysticism. Either way, um, there's like, what, 80% chance of probability of being right, even when you're following all the signs, you know, even, and so, I mean, even if you believe that stuff. So yeah, that 20% or the people that don't feel things, like don't get those words, they're always gonna, I mean, I don't know where I land with all that still. I think I'm still starting my journey of kind of like really processing like, how that affected other people and myself, honestly, to answer your question, Chris, like, I don't know that, it, I mean, the simple answer is yes. I definitely feel like um, there are people that, um, it took them years to shake prophecies, you know, that were unfulfilled, you know, or they always would teach you not to, not to go into the realm. I guess I should preface and say, I would never give any relationship prophecies. They would always teach us not to do that. Um, but, and so a lot of this stuff was a lot more surface level than stuff I ever did. I mean, you could go deep sometimes, but you would stay away from the relationship stuff for obvious reasons. So, yeah, that makes sense. I just know that like, if I was Paul and I pursued God for, you know, a really long time, not even really believing that he is real or not even really knowing if he's real. 
and he gave me fibromyalgia to where I'm constantly feeling pain. He put me through all this, you know, bullshit with women, making me think I'm going to get to marry these people. And then he did get, then I finally did get married, find some happiness. And then that got fucked up. Like, I don't understand his reasoning for still wanting to be a believing God. Cause that God just seems like an asshole. I just like, Oh man, like, his love for God or his desire to, to want to love God must be really deep and really strong. And I just don't know that I can get on board with that. that Still fast and praise every year. Right. Maybe it's that fingerprint thing, you know, like, you know, it's that fingerprint of God. Maybe he's Mark. Maybe, you know, it's just, maybe it's, there's some compelling things that happened. You know, how do you, how do you recover from all that when for years, like you can pray and hear super specific things and then those things like happen? I mean, like, how do you how do you not think that there's something out there? Um, I mean, that's a lot of coincidence to have to like try to like reconcile in your head and write it all off and say, you know, you know it's just like. Too many coincidences. Coin- I can't even say quint the word. <laughs> coincidences. Too many coincidences for it to be just completely random, I, I feel like, at that point. I mean, like, for that many experiences. Yeah. Right? I mean, I've heard a lot of God told me this and this happened and then, then this person called. But, like, his were like, you know, God was giving him, like, lists, right? Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't have a don't box for that. Don't forget to mop the floor on Thursday. <laughs> right. Right. Like... <laughs> The pastor's going to come in and try to split the church, and then you're, they're going to ask you to be the leader, and you're going to have to tell them no. And like, and then, <laughs> like, what? What? How many years did Abraham have to wait before he was given his child? Before essentially God promised him that he would be a father, right? And then it took him. So maybe Paul was still marrying Natalie? I mean, oh my God! Wouldn't is that, be that crazy? what you're saying, Seth? Is that? I mean, he's still alive. Natalie's still alive. And this is a perfect time to plug, folks. If you're listening now, you need to listen to see, uh, episode five, where we talk about Natalie and Paul. So listen now. Okay, go on. Go on. No, and his story. I, I wanted. I wanted to mention this, but I, I didn't want, I was nervous in mentioning it might somehow discredit or take value away from his experience. But it, I mean, it's almost like Job and Jonah from the Bible, uh, specifically Job and all the things that happened to him, um, the promises he was given and all that he went through. It sounds very similar. I'm just saying the story's not over. And I think we just need, we should just support, support people who've been through that type of thing. And I'm just so happy to see that he's made it through this and is doing, is doing well. I mean, it's hard and this is really tough, but I'm happy to see he's doing well. And it sounds like he has a really good support system and community, which is great. No, I think Ethan wanted to know if he was currently married. Is he? (laughs) Yeah, Ethan definitely thought he was cute. Yep, that I did. Unabashedly. <laughs> I don't know. You're probably going to regret saying that later, right? Because you're, you're a little tipsy. 
Nope. It's gone now. <laughs> Tomorrow I'll just hear it and be like... <laughs> If you like this episode, please feel free to follow us on iTunes and give us a positive review. If you leave a comment, we may just even mention your name on the next podcast. What the fuck? Follow us on iTunes. Follow on iTunes. (laughs) (laughs) What is wrong with that? Subscribe on iTunes. What the fuck's the difference? Go ahead and like our page on iTunes and leave a good review. Leave us a review on Facebook and uh, retweet us on Facebook. <laughs> you can follow us on LinkedIn. <laughs> I think Ethan should have to do this. Be part. sure to be sure to check our Friendster page at Fade the Gray Pod. <laughs> Friendster, I'm... I had a Friendster. <laughs> or MySpace, and you can come over to Grinder and uh, find me oh. at Seth Showalter. Oh my joke! Ah. <laughs> That was my next slide. Don't Cur- just tap. Say hi. Currently on it. <laughs> if you like what you hear on this podcast episode, <laughs> please, please feel. You're doing great, Seth. Come on. Please feel free to subscribe to us on iTunes. Uh, like us on Facebook. That's right. Leave us a review on Instagram or send Seth a tap on Grinder. Either of those will work. Yeah, and don't forget to go and buy Paul's book on Amazon.com. He's got God Told Me to Marry You and also the book about his friendship with Aaron Weiss, All the Clever Words on Pages. See you guys next time on the Fade to Gray podcast.